Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. And welcome back to the podcast. Saul Marquez here. Today I have the outstanding Mike Kajewski. He's the CEO at MedCrypt. They're a San Diego-based company that allows medical device vendors to secure their devices from cybersecurity threats, patch vulnerabilities, and monitor device behavior with a few lines of code. Mike is passionate about new advances in the intersection of internet technology and healthcare. This is a hot topic that a lot of us need to be concerned with. A lot of things are changing. The FDA is requiring a lot of different things. Got the unique device identifier. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here and Mike's at the center of it. Prior to starting MedCrypt, he was the founder of Gamma Basics, which was a radiation oncology focused software startup. He sold this company. Well, it was acquired by Varian Medical Systems in 2013. Mike's got an MBA from Morton School of Business and a master's in medical physics from the University of Pennsylvania. He knows what he's doing. He's got a great team behind him and a lot of interest is sparking in his work with some good seed rounds of capital being raised there. So it's my pleasure to welcome Mike from MedCrypt to the podcast. Mike, welcome. Thanks, Saul. Thanks for having me. And that, that was a, a very generous intro there. Thank you. <laughs> it's my pleasure, man. You're doing a lot of good things. And uh, I'm excited to dive into this topic of cybersecurity and med devices. But before we tap into this uh, conversation, I'd love to know what got you into the healthcare space to begin with. Yeah, so when I was in high school, my mom was actually a, a med student while I was in high school. Uh, she, she started medical school later in her life. And my, my dad was a vice president at a healthcare IT company that was called Shared Medical Systems, which became uh, Siemens Healthcare. Ah, and I remember okay. as a rebellious wow. teenager thinking, I have no idea what either of my parents do, but I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going to do my own thing. I want nothing <laughs> to do with whatever healthcare thing is. Um, so, so I went to, went to college for, for physics, thought I was going to be a high school physics teacher for a standard 35-year career, taught high school physics for a couple of years after undergrad, and really loved being in the classroom with students. I, I, I genuinely felt like I was having a positive impact on the lives of some number of people on a daily basis. But there, I had two, two main issues with my situation there as a teacher. The first being the obvious financial ones. You know, when you're, when you're starting, starting to think about owning a house and having a family and wanting to, to have my wife be able to stay home for a little bit if we had kids, it's hard to do on a teacher salary. Or harder to do than it would be on, on other salaries. For and sure. number two, I was teaching the same thing three years in a row and starting to get a little bored of the material and was looking for something that was a little more um, intellectually rigorous on a day-to-day basis and thought about going to med school, realized it wasn't a good fit for me, um, wanted to do something sort of entrepreneurial and, and really at the end of the day wanted to know that the end product of, of my work was helping people in some way. And if you think about, like, not, not to pick on the financial services industry because they, they do important work as well, but buying and selling stocks, maybe it's a, it's a less direct positive impact on, on people's uh, well-being than, than healthcare. So I, I found this field called medical physics, which is the, the technical underpinnings of radiation oncology and diagnostic imaging, and thought that it was sort of a, a perfect combination of my interest in physics, uh, my interest in wanting to help patients directly or indirectly through healthcare, and it was also a very forward-thinking, uh, technology-driven treatment modality. You know, basically everything done in radiation oncology and, and imaging today involves a computer and software and code. 
and just thought it would be a great environment to get involved in. And I guess started that process 11 years ago at this point and really couldn't be more happy at the outcome. I really, really love being involved in healthcare. That's awesome, man. Well, you've done a great job thus far and now you're paving the way into a new era of, um, of helping people. And so what do you think, Mike, is a hot topic that the listeners need to be thinking about today and how is your organization approaching it? Yeah, so, so we, we are involved in the cybersecurity aspects of, of healthcare, specifically focused on the patient safety implications of cybersecurity. So in, in 2014, I was working for a, a big medical device vendor and was hearing a couple of different healthcare delivery organizations express concerns about patients being physically harmed if a cybersecurity vulnerability in a connected medical device were exploited. And at the time, I, I hadn't spent much time thinking about physical harm coming from cybersecurity vulnerabilities. Of course, I've, you know, I'd heard about HIPAA and heard about patient data privacy issues, but the notion that you could make a, a medical device do something that was not supposed to do and physically hurt somebody was, was scary, um, but also interesting to me. And while there were Definitely pockets of people working on this problem as early as the late 90s and early 2000s. It wasn't until a couple of years after we started, really 2015, 2016, that regulatory agencies and the media at large started thinking about this problem. So we're really focused on ensuring that the companies and teams building healthcare technologies that rely on software and hardware are building products that will not malfunction if the bad guy hacks a, a vulnerability in one of these devices. And you know, the flip side of that is ensuring that medical device vendors can build devices that are effective and profitable for them and don't become liabilities long-term due to cybersecurity issues. Yeah, this is, this is great information, Mike. And you know, as, as manufacturers of, of devices, it's important that, that we consider all the things that are available to make these devices secure. And then uh, as, as providers, you know, as you start thinking about what requirements you have for your vendors selling these, these technologies, making sure that your patients are safe. All these things matter. And so Mike is definitely tackling this issue head on with, with his firm. So I'd love to dive a little bit deeper, learn a little bit more about how you and your organization, Mike, are creating results by doing things differently in this arena. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of good stuff to, to unpack there. So, so the first, maybe just an anecdote from something that I had worked on a couple of years ago and how that's inspired what we're doing today. Sure. In 2011, I was running a software startup called Gamma Basics while I was a graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania, and we were making a couple different products for, um, for radiation oncology, you know, clinical workflow situations. And we had an idea for, for a product that we wanted to build, but we were a, a cash-strapped sort of resource-constrained uh, you know, resource organization. We couldn't hire engineers to go out and build this stuff. And as a physics graduate student, I had done some, some programming, right? Use MATLAB to process data and mm -hmm. to look at DICOM images and do stuff like that. But I wasn't a, wasn't a software engineer. But I started to look into a couple of different software development frameworks that make it really easy, comparatively easy, for somebody to build a web application. Mm -hmm. And in 2010, I guess, this was a, a framework, a web application framework called Ruby on Rails. Mm -hmm. um, and I know a little bit of HTML and how to make a website, but I had never built you know, a back-end application. And it, as I started to dig into some online tutorials, learning how Ruby on Rails worked, it amazed me that people had taken processes that previously were very complex and wrapped them up into a very easy to use piece of software that other developers can leverage and not have to sort of reinvent the wheel. 
I think a good example of this is the notion of a database, right? It's actually a relatively complex idea that in the late 70s, early 80s, it was probably a huge ordeal to get a database up and running. But then companies like you know, Oracle and, and Microsoft come out with consumer-facing databases like you know, Microsoft SQL Server, which is much easier to set up and configure, but you still need to write a lot of the code to, to really interface with that, uh, with that database. And you need to understand how to write a SQL query and all of this other complicated stuff. And then there are other layers of software that come out that say, okay, well, instead of worrying about interfacing with the database directly, we're going to give you an easy set of commands where you can type something like patient.lastName and hit enter, and we'll figure out how to write the SQL query for you in the back end. And those sorts of abstractions allowed me, a, a physicist, but not a software engineer, to build a product that ended up being launched commercially and acquired by a big medical device firm. because. Nice. Other developers had, had you know, taken on some of the heavy lifting and abstracted away some of the complexity. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we're doing at MedCrypt is looking at the problem of today, medical device cybersecurity, and saying what sorts of security features really should be in devices. And if you ask security experts, you'll get a relatively standard set of answers. Right? There'll be some variance and some disagreement about, about the edge cases. But for the most part, people would say you should have strong usernames and passwords. You should have... Uh, you should use encryption in various forms. You should have unique encryption keys on all these devices. And setting up all of those technologies, while it's not rocket science, is time intensive for yeah. the engineers building these products. So we say, hey, if we can take those sorts of technologies, you know, encrypting data, assigning encryption keys, cryptographically signing things and verifying that the data hasn't been manipulated, and make it easily accessible via an API, we can allow engineers at a medical device firm to spend more time focusing on clinical features rather than implementing this sort of you know, rudimentary security framework. I think that's super, super fascinating. And, and I think it's a, it's a great value add, Mike, because you're right. The device company goes through their specialty, which is clinical, which is engineering. And uh, these APIs, I mean, if you're allowing a turnkey solution, this is great. This is so much off of the company's books so much off of, you know, an expertise that maybe isn't baked into that company. Yeah. And this, this is a, a struggle that we, that we went through when we were first raising fu- uh, funding for this company. We would have investors say, well, you know, engineers that, you know, pick whoever your favorite big medical device company is. Engineers in that company, if they're really smart engineers, they, they could theoretically do this on their own if they wanted to. And our answer is, well, yeah, but why should they focus really, why should they spend any time that they don't need to setting up the security stuff when their real competitive advantage is knowing you know, the most in the world about insulin delivery or imaging or cardiac rhythm management or whatever. Um, and there are lots of good examples in other areas of technology of companies being successful by allowing their companies to focus on their core competency. So for example, my favorite analogy here is that this company Stripe that does payment processing through yes. an API. And if you're, if you're building a website and you're selling t-shirts or something and you've got lots of great t-shirt designs, you need to build a website to sell those t-shirts. And part of selling the shirts is you need to accept payments. So 10 years ago, engineers would have to build the credit card processing stuff on their own. And they'd have to set up a merchant account with some, you know, credit card processing company. And Stripe came along and said, you know, here's an API token, put these seven lines of code in your website and go worry about designing better t-shirts. And they're, they're now processing something like $5 billion of payments a month or something, not because credit card processing was rocket science or nobody had figured it out. They just made it so much easier to implement that why would you do anything else? So that really is our approach to 
a subset of the security issues in medical devices. If, if we can make it so easy for engineers to implement you know, cryptography directly into these devices, why would they want to do this on their own? That's a great analogy, Mike. Totally love the way you laid that out for us. And so you've worked through a couple iterations. Share with us a, a time when you had a setback in the development of this company or maybe the previous one that taught you some big lessons. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's hard to think of one, not because there are, there are so few, but really, you know, running early stage companies, nothing ever goes perfectly. So there, there are constantly yeah. opportunities to learn. So a couple that come to mind, the, the first is when we were starting Gamma Basics and we were selling radiation oncology workflow software into hospitals, mm-hmm. we were really literally four guys in a basement with some really good software, but nobody had ever heard of our company before. And yeah. I remember having these like long protracted calls with physicists at hospitals and they'd ask these questions like, yeah, I see that you've done X, but why don't you also do Y or you should do this other thing Z or we've never heard of you before. I, I can probably do this better internally. And it was a very sort of uphill slog to get some of these, these customers on board. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up selling the company to, to Varian and Varian is the leader in radiation oncology, if, if only by market share, right? Their, their market share is, is, is quite impressive great company, very forward thinking, and they tend to have customers that really love their product. So if you talk to you know, a physicist at a hospital that uses a Varian machine, they probably love that Varian machine. Mm-hmm. So we went through the, the integration process at Varian, then we started selling that same product as Varian, and I had physicists coming up to me at conferences saying, oh my God, this software is amazing, we need this tomorrow, when can we have our account set up? And I said, you're never gonna believe this, but we had an hour long phone call seven months ago when I was this other company, and you told me a hundred different reasons why this wasn't going to work. And now you want to use it. And they'd say, yeah, but, well, now you're selling, now, now it's Varian. It's going to work with all my other stuff. So oh, it just goes, goes to show that when you're, when you're doing something innovative and you're a, a smaller company, the brand recognition that, and the, the trust that you build with, with consumers is so important. Because if you get to the point where your customers trust you and you build products that they love, it just becomes so much easier to sell things later, you know, later down the road. And as a smaller company, when you hear, you know, the, the 50 reasons why the thing you're building aren't going to work, they're not necessarily accurate, right? Uh, you know, yeah. if, you, if you told people 10 years ago, uh, like, hey, uh, electronic med- medical records are going to be used everywhere. And by the way, they're going to be hosted on the spare servers of an online bookstore. You would say that's insane. No, no one's ever going to store medical data on an online bookstores, uh, spare servers. But here we are 10 years later and lots and lots of healthcare and technology companies are hosting applications on Amazon Web Services because it is so easy to do. Why would you run your own data center? So yeah, so, yeah. so the, the haters aren't always right. That's such a great, great message, Mike. And cool that you're able to live through it and sort of stay on and see that that impact, right? Because now uh, you can definitely take this message, listeners, take it to heart, learn from it. What about one of your proudest medical leadership business moments that you've had to date? It's really fulfilling to have been in an industry long enough where you can make certain uh, conjectures about the way things should be and the way that they will be and help make decisions based upon that view of the future. And then be around long enough to see those those sorts of things uh, come to fruition. So you know, I, I remember uh, it's it's a it's a relatively a, a obscure example, but working in the radiation oncology space and looking at certain things that should be automated, and having discussions with people about the pros and cons of automating certain processes, you know, via software. And well, you know, what if the software goes wrong and this thing happens and the patient is harmed? And yeah, of course that 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 would be awful, but we can. 
We can build our code in such a way that will minimize the chance of that happening. And by the way, if this process is not automated, what are the odds of a human making a mistake and having some bad outcome and sort of, you know, fighting through some of those disagreements and, and trying to come up with data that supports that. And then, you know, five or six years later, starting to see industries adopt those sorts of automated processes because the data is in and supports that, yes, automating these things has a net positive impact to uh, patient outcomes. So ha having only, you know, been in the space for a little over 10 years is either a really long time or not that long, depending upon your perspective. But it, it's great to, to just start to see some of those you know, hypotheses that, that I made earlier in my career um, start to be proven true. That's pretty cool. It's kind of like affirmation that, uh, hey, you know what? I wasn't too far off on what I was thinking. And now what I'm thinking, let's move with more bravado because likely it will happen. Exactly. If you, you, know, if you, make, uh, if you make 10 predictions and you, you're, you're looking through those predictions and the first you know, four out of five of them have been right, well, you can be you know, incrementally more confident in each, each additional prediction going forward. That said, it's, it's, it's also, I imagine, easy to get, get a little cocky there and assume that's, that's the way that you see the world is the way that everybody, everybody else sees the world. So I really like this notion of trying to have a beginner's mindset and really asking critical questions about things from, from first principles to make sure that you're not either being influenced by the naysayers, but also you're not uh, sort of you know, eating your own dog food and just believing it because, because you think that's the way that the, the world works. Yeah, such a great message and, and definitely a key area of the market that you're working on, Mike. Tell us about an exciting project that you're working on. Yeah, so we've got, um, we've got one, one company that we're working with that has uh, a very complicated medical device that's used and it just coincidentally happens to be in the radiation oncology space. My, my, my current company, MedCrypt, we're focused on the healthcare industry at large to everything from insulin delivery to imaging to surgical robotics and everything in between. We, we have a good relationship with this, uh, this, this one startup called Reflection Medical that's building a, a pet imaging-based uh, radiation delivery system. Mm -hmm. And some of the, uh, the clinical ramifications of that could be quite, uh, quite impactful once they actually hit the market. And I think they're, they're not too far away from getting their 510K and having their first, first in-person uh, in treatments. But one of the most satisfying things about that particular engagement for us is it's a very complex treatment system. Their treatment system does both imaging and treatment delivery sort of at the same time. And they, they have a very small window of time in which they need to process data, make decisions about that data, and then and then design the patient treatment in less than a second. In fact, significantly less than a second. So it's a, a very sort of uh, critical use case with you know, very large computers doing things very quickly. And it's the kind of use case where we, we were told early in MedCrypt's life that you know, these sorts of systems that reside at a hospital and are big and powerful, but they're behind a hospital firewall. They, they require sort of real-time communication between the various endpoints. It's really not a good use case for encryption because encryption takes some sort of time. So you're going to be necessarily, uh, you know, decreasing the overall performance of the device. And by the way, security is not really that important because this thing's behind the hospital's firewall. And we all know that the bad guys can't get behind the, 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 you know, the hospital's firewall. So to have some, some bigger companies tell us that years ago and then move ahead with a company like Reflection, which has a, you know, a really, it's sort of a I guess a cliched expression, but a, a next generation version of this, this treatment modality and see that number one, you can put in place these security features and still have the device function the way it's supposed to clinically. And number two, see that adding these sorts of security features is important and it's a, it's a value add for the, for the end user 
for a variety of reasons, but not the least of which is you're, you're building a device that is secure by design and not creating another thorn in the side of the, the hospital CIO that now needs to lock this thing down with a firewall and manage it and, and all of that. So it's been a, a really interesting project working with them and seeing a, a really revolutionary device take security seriously from the start and show that you can have a device that's, you know, that both uh, has these security features in place, but also is doing some really amazing things uh, uh, technologically. Yeah, Mike, that's cool. And, you know, the thought here is you always got to be questioning your assumptions, especially with the way technology is moving. Just because once you felt like, hey, you know, encrypting something will slow me down or slow down the way that this device is innovative doesn't mean that's going to be the way moving forward because all these technologies are advancing. And so this great example is goes back to the basics and says, hey, you got to question your assumptions and dig before just assuming. That's exactly right. And, and, and it's hard to look forward in time and see that, you know, computing power will increase and the ability to do this sort of cryptography will, you know, will get get easier comparatively, it's much easier to look back in time and look at some things that people could have said that would have seemed rational at the time, but now in retrospect look ridiculous, right? So if you look Mm -hmm. at credit card processing, I'm very interested in in cryptocurrencies and blockchain and Bitcoin, actually not because I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the, of the whole market and the whole um, the whole approach to things. But I, I've heard a lot of people say the Bitcoin, uh, the blockchain is not a tenable payment uh, system because the Visa credit card processing network transacts some ridiculous number of transactions per minute. I don't know what the exact number is, but you know, you're talking of you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of transactions a day potentially. And if you were to look back in time and say, you know, we've got all these transactions and so many of them are happening per second, we, we really don't have the capacity to also encrypt all of those credit card transactions. Well, in retrospect, that looks ridiculous, right? If you, if you had credit card transactions that were happening in an unencrypted fashion, the, the amount of fraud in the system would be, would be rampant and would be incredibly mm-hmm. expensive. So oh, yeah. it's just looking back, of course you need that sort of cryptography in, in payment processing. It just wouldn't be tenable otherwise. I do wonder if at some point in the future, we'll look back at healthcare and say, you know, I can't believe that we had healthcare information systems on a hospital network communicating via, you know, an HL7 system, not using any encryption because we thought that it was too, you know, computationally intensive or <laughs> we couldn't get stakeholders aligned or something. It's just, you know, l- looking back in time, it's easy to see how, how some of those, those sorts of objections would be, would be ridiculed. Yeah. Some great thoughts here, Mike, and, and definitely something for all of us to think about, whether you be a CIO at a hospital or an entrepreneur managing your own company in this space, you really have to be thinking about security and thinking ahead of the game. So Mike, getting close to the end here, let's pretend we're building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in cybersecurity of devices, V101 of Mike Kajewski. So I've got a syllabus that we're going to construct for the listeners, lightning round style, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Uh, sure. On it. <laughs> Love it. So, <laughs> so, so. We got, so I've got four questions for you, all right? These are going to be lightning yeah. round style. So what's the best way to improve healthcare cybersecurity? By design. Two words, by design. So there's a, there's a lot of focus being put on devices out there in the field. I think securing devices when they're developed is really a much, much better way to approach the problem. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Failing to patch. When medical devices have vulnerabilities and companies put patches out, there are a million reasons people give for not applying them, but that's the number one mistake you can make. How do you stay relevant despite constant change? 
having a beginner's mindset, constantly asking questions and being, being uh, aware of what is on the horizon. What's one area of focus that drives your organization? Patient safety. What book would you recommend to the listeners? I believe it is called The Dark History of Cyber War. Maybe The Secret History of Cyber War, a fascinating conversation about uh, the, the, the U.S. federal government and other federal governments, how they've actually been having cyber warfare along with physical warfare for the last 30 years and what that looks like in the future. Fascinating. Folks, there you have it, the outline, the syllabus with Mike Kajewski. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash medcrypt. That's M-E-D-C-R-Y-P-T, medcrypt, outcomesrocket.health slash medcrypt, along with a full transcript of our conversation today. Mike, this has been a blast. I'd love if you could just share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where they could get in touch with or follow you. Yeah, so I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Thanks for having me. Final closing thought. A lot of people say, will medical devices ever be hacked? Is this a really a legitimate concern? Shouldn't we be focused on bigger issues? Uh, do not underestimate the probability of patients being physically harmed by cybersecurity vulnerabilities in medical devices being exploited for various reasons, some of, some of them being financial, others, others not being being financial. Yeah, check out medcrypt.co.co. We're active on Twitter, LinkedIn, sharing lots of uh, relevant industry information that will be useful for both medical device uh, vendors and, and medical device users. Outstanding, Mike. Hey, we really appreciate your time. This has been a blast and looking forward to staying in touch. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.